I'm Celine Williams, and welcome to the Leading Through Crisis podcast, a conversation series exploring resiliency and leadership in challenging times. Welcome. Today, I am joined by Karen Wright, who's an executive coach and author of The Accidental Alpha Woman, The Guide to Thriving When Life Feels Overwhelming. Karen, thank you for joining me today. I'm thrilled to be here. Nice to see you. It's nice to see you too. This is really exciting. I've known Karen for a couple of years and she's brilliant and has this new book out that I'm super excited to hear more about. And it lines up really well with the theme of leading through crisis and leading in challenging times and and especially for women. So I appreciate you coming and being open to talking about leadership. Well, leadership is what I've been doing professionally for a really long time. And I think probably Um, getting this book out of my head and into the world and thinking through the reasons why I felt it was important. I think it's allowed me to kind of expand my view of leadership, maybe reframe it a little bit. So that's been fun. So I'm happy to be here and talk about it. So I'm going to, this is not where I would normally start, but I want to ask the question, how has it allowed you to reframe your lens on leadership? I think I have had a pretty traditional view of leadership that you, you know, leader is out in front and leader is leading a thing. And what I, um, I think what I got clearer on, I mean, you know, we've heard for years about like leadership of self is the first kind of tenet of leadership. I don't know that I really got that. Um, and certainly as I, as I formulated my thinking around the book and started really looking at some of the people that I wanted to talk about, leadership of self is, is number one. Um, and so I think I've gone way deeper on that than I probably had before, or even maybe thought was necessary before. I think that's, I think that's really uh, applicable when we talk about leading through challenging times, because if you can't lead yourself first and you, you're not being resilient and you're not keeping a lens on that, then you're leading other people is, not going to be effective for them or for you. Totally agree. And or even if it feels like it might be effective, kind of sort of in the short term, yes. I think it falls apart. Yeah. And I know in my own case, when I think about the business that I've been leading, I'm leading it better now than I was. And I can feel the difference. And some of the people on my team feel the difference. I'm leading as a parent different, differently for having confronted some of the things that I needed to confront and solve for some of the things I needed to solve. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, so I am really considering myself as a leader differently and more broadly than maybe I did at one point. I think that's a powerful thing. I think that's a really powerful yeah, thing to step into. Thanks. But I also think it has to do with the accidental nature of what I talk about, because I venture that I have been an accidental alpha in a great many situations for much of my life without really owning the fact that I could shift towards being more intentional and toward being a more conscious and intentional leader. So I want to explore the idea when you, you know, for the people who are watching or listening, when they hear accidental alpha, what does that, what is that for you? What does that mean to you? Well, the thing that's really interesting is that when I first saw, I love a good alliteration on any day of the week. And, Me too. Right? <laughs> All word nerds unite. Yes. And when I, I was in a personal situation, I was struggling and I was trying to kind of figure out how to deal with it. And somewhere along the way, I coined this phrase that I was an accidental alpha. And what for me at the time it meant was that I was having to 
handle more things and take leadership on more things than I had envisioned having to do. And all of this felt like it happened in a very haphazard and, and unplanned way. And, uh, and then as soon as I started talking about this idea of accidental alpha, what I discovered was that almost every woman I mentioned it to had a moment of resonance, a moment of recognition. Oh, that's me. Oh my gosh, I totally get that. Oh, you have to talk about that. I'm so, you know, I want to meet more people who are that. Um, and so, so the idea, I mean, as I, as I talk about it, when I, when I kind of formed it into the thing that became the book, an accidental alpha is a woman who is handling more than she had anticipated having to handle. Hmm. It wasn't the plan. And so for me, it's the accidental part isn't as much the problem as the disconnect, the tension in the fact that this was unplanned. This was not how I envisioned my life happening. I didn't sign up for this. This is wrong. Shouldn't be happening to me. You know, all of these things, right? So this resentment and tension around, hang on, this, I didn't have a choice about this. I, if, you know, if you had asked me, I wouldn't have chosen all these things. So that, that's for me where the, the accidental piece, whereas, I mean, you and I both know women who are crushing it out there in the world, totally intentional, mm-hmm. right? Decided from the get-go, this is who they're going to be and how they were going to do it. And they set themselves up with support systems, very intentional. So that's for me, that's how I distinguish the two. I, I appreciate that distinction. It's interesting because it makes me think of if we compare I'm going to take it out of women for one second. If we compare men to women, I think men are often set up with that as the, that's what they're aiming for from the get-go. So they set up those systems. They set up the foundations that help support them in moving that forward as it moves forward. And I think that, that it's, I'd be more shocked if there were any men who felt like, oh, I'm an accidental alpha man. Then I can, (laughs) whereas I can totally see it for women because I think that, we don't, we don't always necessarily see that future for ourselves in that way. Well, I mean, generationally, mo- you know, most of us at this age and stage have not been encouraged that direction. Um, I mean, with regard to men, I would venture that maybe there aren't a lot of accidental ones, at least not that you and I can see, but I'm certain there are quite a number of reluctant ones. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And in fact, I would say that the conventional support structures that allow men to be in alpha kinds of roles and situations, more of those sorts of support structures are established. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think for women, we have to find them and create them maybe differently than men are used to have to doing. And thankfully, I think this is changing. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, this past year says maybe not quite so much and maybe not quite as fast as we'd like. Yeah. And, and I think that's a really valid point is that, that, I think also the support structures for men historically have been more societally acceptable, right? So they're just, that's the default of how things work. So it's that much easier. Whereas a woman requiring those support structures to step forward into that, that was different. That was not how things worked. Agreed. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, So I'm... I have a thousand questions I want to ask, but before we <laughs> jump off the sort of male female thing from a, from what can an accidental alpha woman learn or what lessons are there for women inside of how men have operated in this, in this way, in your opinion, I get this is not necessarily mountains of research to back it up, but yeah. from your, from, I appreciate that, but from, you know, your experience of writing this book, what are, are there lessons that women can learn, especially 
because a lot of these accidental alpha women are presumably leading something. Well, you know, if you think of accidental alpha, oftentimes as having a um, earner role in a household, you know, a sole or primary earner, then yes, accidental alpha um, oftentimes is um, exists in a woman who is leading something somewhere outside mm-hmm. the home. Um, but I would say that one of the distinctions, one of the differences, behavioral differences, would be the idea of saying no and or asking for help. Um, so I think most people who own an alpha role comfortably are crystal clear what their lane is and they don't try to take on every, you know, they don't boil the ocean. They're not taking on other people's stuff. Um, they're not, it doesn't sound, this doesn't sound charitable and I don't mean it just to not sound nice, but, but, um, the idea of they're not, they're not as helpful to others. Like they're helpful within their, within their lane, right? Again, within their, their realm. So I think the idea of saying no or not jumping in to help and take on other people's stuff um, and being willing to delegate, to outsource, to, you know, to ask for help, really. Um, the interesting thing is that as an alpha, delegating isn't really seen as asking for help. Whereas I think women oftentimes perceive it that way, that I can't handle this. I've, if I'm outsourcing, if I'm delegating, it's because I can't handle it and I have to ask for help, as opposed to who's better doing this because maybe me is not the right answer in all the cases. Mm. And when I think of that in terms of challenging times, crises, whatever, whatever language you want to use around that, um, it makes me think immediately that I, any leader in a challenging time, I think feels a responsibility to have all the answers and to be the go-to person. I think if you are an accidental alpha woman, that responsibility feels much heavier because you don't have the, you're not naturally inclined to ask for help or to outsource or to get that, you know, to bring people in. So you now have even more of the weight of let me solve all the problems and own it all than I think any leader who feels that responsibility does in those moments. Yeah, I agree. I think we are all... um conventionally wired to and we're, we're rewarded for having the answers for our whole lives so that's problem one right you know yes. from the moment we step into school or whatever right so so that's problem one right there and and oftentimes in my coaching practice when I'm working with someone who has risen up a level or two that's one of the things we have to unpack is you are no longer going to be rewarded for knowing all the answers mm-hmm. you know for having all the answers I think in the case of women the exacerbating factor is our um, reluctance to um, stress other people too much or or hand off too many things for fear of overloading other people. Uh, we have, we have this, the caregiving kind of um, demeanor that says, you know what, they're they're already busy. I won't bother them. I'll I'll keep it. Um, which is why why we've come to that as being the right answer. I'm not really sure, but that's I think one of the exacerbating problems. And I think it's it, when we value, and you hear it with little girls, again, going back to childhood, when you value the, quote, nurturing side of women, and that's their value, they're the nice girl, they don't bother right? people, and it happens really, really <laughs> young, then, of course, women think, that's that's my role. Right, I know. And as I say, I, I, I think we can all agree that we've made progress, and we can see examples of situations where that's maybe not the primary way women are evaluated, but it's, but it's still there. And I think 
mostly it's there inside our heads and us getting past it is a great first step. A hundred percent. And that's, isn't that always the hardest? It's like the self-leadership, right? Isn't that sometimes the hardest <laughs> part is to start with the of course. <laughs> recognition and acknowledgement that, oh, this is, this is in my head, right? Yeah. Oh, it's a story I'm telling myself. Oh, I could choose this. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. wait, wait, wait. If I choose something else, what does that, what happens that? Yeah. I know. I know exactly. So wait a minute, there are options for how I create value in the world. <laughs> right. And yeah. maybe that's only one of the options. Yeah. So it's a, it's a really interesting, it's really interesting to explore that those choices and what that looks like. And I think for women, especially because there's so many, there's just a right. There's the, listen, I fundamentally do not believe in right or wrong. I, I, I don't think that there's a right and a wrong way to do things. I think there's lots of different ways. And they'll yep, work for the, they'll work best for different people, but I think we are so ingrained in thinking there's a right or wrong that it's like if you if this is not right, then what else is the right thing to do becomes the option we all start looking for. Well, it, or or maybe and we are very wired for what we think other people are going to think. Of course. And so I've been in, in, in executive women's environments where um, there's, there seems to be an expectation that women will say, yes, my career is important. Yes, my, you know, yes, I'll make choices in favor of my career. And then push comes to shove and they make a choice in favor of family and feel terrible about it because they feel like they've let down the side. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think we're in a world increasingly in a world where maybe it's okay if we choose the one that people don't expect us to choose and, and, or, or maybe we can build up the resilience and the self-esteem to, to handle the people who don't agree. Mm-hmm. And I, th- cause I think with the flip side of what you said is also true. I have a friend who runs a very successful business and has a toddler, small ish child, a young child at home. And from the time that she was born, they have had a nanny and that was a non-negotiable for her because her business, she has you know, she's been building her business for 20 years and she loves it. And she, that's where she gets her, you know, a lot of her self-esteem from, not from being a mother. She loves being a mother, but that's not the driving factor of who she is. It's not her core identity. And she got tons of flack from people when she had a nanny for her child that, you know, is there all the time. And it was, and that was as challenging as that feeling like, you know, it's the flip side of the coin. Whereas there's judgment. If you choose your family, there's judgment. If you choose your career, like why, why are we doing this? Well, but also we've, we've ramped up the expectations all the way across the board. And I wish I had this statistic in front of me. There was a piece of research that came out that said that women today who have jobs outside the home are actually spending more time with their children than women in the fifties who stayed home. I heard that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what? So, I, I know. So we've set this crazy expectation of ourselves that we can do it all. And that not only that we can, but we ought to try like that. It's that, you know, in doing anything less than all, whatever all is, um, is, is the thing we should be setting ourselves to do. And I don't, I, I mean, I'd love to know the moment in time when that 
that whole value system kind of shifted. But I mean, I'm a big believer in the it takes a village idea. And if you have the wherewithal to get help, I mean, I was on a call earlier today with a woman who is expecting her second child and she has a very demanding job, very, very demanding job. And um, both of her parents are actively involved in their home, taking care of baby one and helping out with meals and like they're actively involved. And it's, it's wonderful. It's just wonderful. So, you know, whether it's family, whether it's hired support, whether it's neighborhood moms groups and things like, please let us get back to involving more people in our lives such that we're not shouldering every bit of every role. I'm curious how much of this idea that you have to do it all drives the dissonance inside of the the accidental alpha woman and how she's operating in the world. Um, to some degree, certainly. In some cases, it's a it's a catching up problem that the mm. reality shifted, and I wasn't ready for it, and I didn't have the systems in place. So the really healthy accidental alpha uh, would be the one that quickly says, "Hold on, something's different here." I need to make some changes in order to absorb this new thing that happened. Mm. Um, and I think I think that's at least one of the problems that my circumstances changed, but I didn't change anything else. And I just tried to kind of absorb that that situation, whatever it is. Um, so so I think the the woman who can who can read it more quickly is going to do better in the face of, of change. It'll run less risk of that feeling of, of overwhelm and burnout. Are there, um, and this might be anecdotal, if anything, I appreciate that, but are there, so if someone is hearing this and saying, oh, I think I might be, I think I might be one of those accidental alpha women, that that might be me. Are there any signs or indicators that on the way to overwhelm could let them know that maybe overwhelm is on the way as opposed to suddenly being in that <laughs> complete oh crap moment which I think a lot of them probably end up in <laughs> a lot for me the first clue is uh, a regular feeling of resentment I shouldn't have to be doing this I shouldn't have to be doing this and that so I think if you're if if you're starting to feel that ugh, you know, I'm already doing all of this. For God's sakes, don't don't expect me to do that too. I mean, I'll do it because I can, and you know, it's just quicker for me to do it, like whatever it is, right? So in my own case, it was I now all of a sudden have to earn all the money, and I still have to plan the birthday parties and the dentist appointments and be at the parent teacher meetings and the and like all the things. And it's like, where did I where did I let go of something when I picked up this other thing? And it's that it's that tension and resentment and frustration at like who could possibly expect me to do all of these things? Mm. Um, that's like any any time any time we feel a sense of kind of inner turmoil about something. I that's a good cause for reflection under any circumstances. Yeah, I think I like that. I like I appreciate that you put a feeling specifically to it, resentment, because we I think generally are not great at labeling our feelings, and we're not great Agreed. at using that language. But we all know what resentment feels like. And if we recognize it happening and we use the language to describe it, then we can do something about it. Absolutely agree. Um, so the flip side of that question is, 
because, and I want you to know that when I hear, you know, the, the idea of things getting overwhelming to me, that's often challenging times, crises when things, when, you know, the poop hits the fan for lack of a better word, whether it's in your own life or externally, 2020 would be a great example. Great example. (laughs) Things getting overwhelming. That was not maybe for sure. All in your control. Yeah. So when things like that happen, how can, you know, do you have any advice for women, men? I mean, listen, I'm, men are going to get any value out of this as well. I'm not saying it's only for women, but specifically for women that can help them to use your language, thrive in those moments. What, what's something they can do? What is the counterbalance to any month of 2020 outside of January and February? (laughs) I know. Right. Uh, And by the way, one of the biggest supporters of the book is a guy who read it and just went, oh my heavens, like, so, you know, uh, it is, yes, it's about women and technically for women, but not only. Um, So in the book, I outline a framework and it's based on the idea that women are terrible at receiving. Generally, we don't do well at receiving gifts, compliments, help, intuitive messages from the universe, like you name it, right? Yeah. And so I worked with that word to create a framework. And the first one in it is recognize your reality. And so the minute you feel a little dissonance, a little tension, a little something, I think it's useful to stop and say, what's really going on here? Let me take a good hard look because I might be ignoring something. I Mm. might be seeing something, but presuming it's temporary and going to go away, right? Uh, I might be attributing um, an intention to somebody who maybe doesn't have that same that intention right because we never really know what's going on inside someone's head so I think the quicker we can get a clean read a clean objective fact-based read on what's going on uh, and this is the problem with 2020 because our read was we, we weren't able to get a clean read for a little while you know so I remember um, in March I had been traveling I was I was in the U.S. I was anyways and so I was I was coming back after a week being kind of off the grid and uh, trying to catch up. And one of the coaches on my team said, you know, I think it'll all come back to normal by June. And so, you know, and I still remember that conversation because I thought, well, anybody who looked at what was going on in March and said, we'll be fine by June, they wouldn't be making a long-term plan. They wouldn't be making any sort of systemic adjustments to what they were having to deal with. A lot of parents said, we'll just get through to the end of this school year. Next year, will be fine. Unfortunately, not so much. And I don't know that there's anything about what's gone on this past year that that any of us could have done anything much different with. But I mean, and, and so that is a, a very extreme circumstance. But but as I say, to get clear on this is really happening. And this is the best information I have for the moment. So the more I can deal with, you know, this is this as it really is, not as I wish it was or would prefer it wasn't. Um, then I think you're more equipped to then set yourself up, let go of something, change something, ask for help, whatever it is. I think that's a, I'm, listen, I think that's a wonderful starting point in many circumstances to say what's real, mm-hmm. what's, you know, yeah. what are the facts in this situation? Mm-hmm. And I think the 2020 is actually a great example. I was certainly one of those people at the beginning who was like, this is not going to go past summer. Like, that's not a real thing. However, I also was like, I don't know that I there, I don't have a fact that says that's true. So 
if this does continue past summer, what does that look like for me? And if it doesn't, what does that look like? Right. So I didn't. And I think that's, I think that's what's, that's why looking at the reality of a situation is so important. I love optimists. I am an optimist. Optimists are wonderful. However, if you're only ever planning for the best possible outcome, you're always going to be in a state of overwhelm. It's certainly risky. There's no question. And I think it's great to say, I hope it ends by summer. Yes. But to your point, if it doesn't, here's my plan. <laughs> right. And so it's a, so it would hope for the best and plan for the worst, right? Yes. Yeah. And plan for the worst is the most practical thing any of us can do. And a lot of people don't want to do that because it allows right. for the possibility that the worst might actually happen. Yes. But really, wouldn't you rather be prepared? Well, I yes, I definitely would. And I think that in most cases, I'm a person who I believe that long-term things always work out for the best. I really do believe that they work out for the And that does not mean there's not sucky moments inside of that. And it doesn't mean that thing, you know, you don't have the worst day, but long-term, I don't truly believe that generally speaking things. And I recognize that's a privileged lens on things. I get all of that, but I do think things tend to work out for the best. That being said, I think if you operate through life without planning for things, maybe in the short term to not go the exact way you want them to go, you do yourself a disservice and you end up in situations that you're reactive instead of responding. And I think that's a big difference, right? Do I want to be reacting all the time? Which is where overwhelm, I think I, for me personally, when I'm always reacting, overwhelm hits very quickly. If I'm responding because I have some sense of what I would do in this situation, it's way less overwhelming. Yes. And generally emotionally easier. It just is. Um, but I also think that the more we attach ourselves to a particular outcome, and that's a that's a pure coaching thing, right? Let's if we detach ourselves from the outcome and just observe what's happening and and then exercise influence or control where we have that available. I mean, too often the big thing that's happening is that people are wanting to control something that is absolutely not theirs to control or investing emotion in getting mm-hmm. upset about something. You know, the person who was going to go golfing on Saturday and wakes up and it's raining and is in a bad mood all day. Well, you know, you couldn't control the rain. So why attach so much emotion? Why invest so much in that? So, you know, I'm not saying not be emotional, but I am saying notice the emotions and notice where they're helping you solve. Yeah. it's. I think it's very hard for people to understand the idea of not getting attached to the outcome when they hear that. Totally. Um, you have, I'm going to lean on your, your experience coaching. If someone hears that and says, I don't, how, I, how do you not get attached? To the I don't understand that. Cause I guarantee there's people listening who will have that similar reaction. How, is there any advice you would give them to, I don't care whether it's detached from the outcome to better recognize when they're attached to an outcome, something that helps them get out of that. I don't understand how you don't get attached to an outcome. Um, There are a couple of different things that work here. So first is, uh, and this comes from Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people, the oldest personal development book in the world almost. Um, And it's the donut. That's what the middle in the small bit in the middle is what you can control. And outside of that is what you can influence. And, outside of that is things like the weather and so my first request of clients is that they look at the thing that's going on and figure out whether it's something they can control or something they can influence 
because if it is one or other of those, by all means, make a choice about investing some emotion. Um, but then also the idea that we can choose our emotions is oftentimes a revolutionary idea. And yes. mindfulness practice supports that. I had a fascinating conversation with my son who was at the time about 17 or 18. And I mean, children of coaches get exposed to different ideas <laughs> than reg regular humans on a normal basis. But he was talking about how he'd gotten really angry about something. And I, of course, went into pure coach mode around, well, you know, you don't have to be angry. You can choose your emotions. And he was absolutely adamant that there was no way he could choose an emotion. And finally, his parting shot was, I can't choose whether I get angry. I get that I can choose whether I stay angry. There we go. And so if more of us could recognize a flare of emotion and then decide whether that's where we want to stay, I think we then can handle, we, we, we then maybe don't experience things like overwhelm quite so much. I think that, first of all, I'd love to talk to your son. I'm sure that he is wildly <laughs> more insightful than most, you know, young men his age as a result. But I think that's a really good, I think that's a really good frame that you can't control if you feel a certain way. You can control if you stay feeling that way. Right. You get to control, you can't yeah. control the reaction, you can control the response. Totally. So I think that's, I think that's really powerful. And I think it's something that applies especially in times of of challenging times times of crisis right i mean it's as simple as the people who are upset at things being closed well i can't change whether things are closed i can <laughs> i can control whether i contribute to the problem right. by making the choices about you know where i engage and, and how i interact with the world so um yeah there's just there just isn't any value there isn't any benefit in being upset at the way things are i I think that is a really important reminder for people to have and people to hear is that it doesn't serve to, it doesn't serve anyone to be upset at the things that are about yourself. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, whether it's politics, whether it's the COVID people who are angry that COVID is still around, it's does it, what is there? There's an old adage that old adage. I, I, I've heard it from people who are in AA, to be fair. So I don't know that it's an old adage, but it's the idea that it's like drinking poison to kill someone else. <laughs> yes, right? I love that one. Like, you're, <laughs> who is who's who's feeling this? It's not COVID doesn't care if you're mad at it. The closed businesses <laughs> don't care if you're mad at them. Right. So all you're doing is hurting yourself. I know, you know, it's like being mad at the barista in Starbucks because they won't serve you if you're not wearing a mask. The barista didn't make that decision. Oh, gosh. Right? So, you know, those poor, poor frontline retail service business. Oh, my gosh, they've been putting up with such stuff. Yes. So, and I get I mean, and, and I mean, the reality of what we've gone through this past year is that uh, everyone's on a short fuse right now. We have we are out of gas. There's a principle in positive psychology around self-regulation and that we have a fixed amount of ability to control our behavior and sort of discipline ourselves and, and make difficult choices. And it's the reason why, for example, you don't start a diet and a budget on the same day, right? Because you'd be, <laughs> you're, you're using up all of your control over here. You won't have anything left for this. Um, and I mean, what the world has asked of us this past year has exhausted all of our stores of self-regulation. And unless we've actively worked on building our personal resilience by things like, you know, eating right and exercising and, you know, all of those sorts of things, um, you know, it's, 
intellectually, it's understandable that people are frustrated and, and that frustration is showing up. It doesn't help. No, I think that's a, I, I agree. I agree. Um, I want to, before we sort of wrap this up, I want to ask the question, is there anything that you would like to emphasize that you've said, or that you want to add to what you said for the listeners and the viewers or, you know, whether it's around the concept of accidental alpha woman and, and thriving when things feel overwhelming, or if it's just generally leading in challenging times? You know, I just, I just think all circumstances are better if we all try to lead with kindness. Mm. If we all just genuinely care about other humans and are mindful of the impact that we ourselves are having on those we come in contact with, I think with, with just that, life is a little easier and the world is a little better. So, I mean, kindness to self to start with, because I think, you know, as we've talked about women in general, accidental alphas in particular, very hard on ourselves. Um, but I think we're also just defaulting to being not very nice to other people because we're frustrated. Um, whereas if we just exercise that tiny little bit of extra effort to be kind and to be thoughtful, or at least to be empathetic to the fact that we're kind of all struggling and we're all in this together, I think in any crisis, this or any other, I think that would be a nice place to start. I think that is beautifully said. Um, I want to let all of our listeners know that you can check out Karen's book online. The, the website is accident, www, obviously. I always forget to say that part. And then someone got on my case about it. So do the World Wide Web part, dot accidentalalphawoman.com. Uh, and Karen has kindly um, offered to give a couple of books away to our listeners. So I'm going to come up with something fun that's going to be inserted after this to give some of those books away, because if you're, if you definitely want to get a copy of this book, it's amazing. And hey. Karen is incredible. So I really check oh. her out. She's, she's pretty great. <laughs> thank you thank for, you. oh my gosh. Thank you for coming on and chatting about this. I really, I appreciate your time and your expertise and your sharing. I think it's going to be, I think it's wildly valuable. So thank you so much. Oh, I appreciate the support. I really do. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Thanks for joining me today on the Leading Through Crisis podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a minute to rate and review us on your podcast app. If you're interested in learning more about any of our guests, you can find us online at www.leadingthroughcrisis.ca.